AMC Network's Shudder is a premium streaming video service with the best selection of horror and thrillers. Shudder is like the Netflix for horror, with the largest, fastest-growing, human-curated selection of thrilling and dangerous entertainment. Stream ad-free on all your favourite devices like Apple TV, Xbox One and Google Chromecast. To try Shudder free for 30 days, go to Shudder.com and use the promo code UNIVERSE. That's S-H-U-D-D-E-R.com, promo code UNIVERSE. Turn your great idea into a reality with Squarespace. Squarespace makes it easier than ever to launch your passion project, whether you're showcasing your work or selling products of any kind. And of course, with their beautiful templates and the ability to customize just about anything you can easily make a beautiful website all by yourself. And if you do get stuck, of course, Squarespace's 24-7 award-winning customer support is there to help. Head to squarespace.com MU for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use the offer code MU to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Welcome to Mysterious Universe, Season 22, Episode 3. Coming up on this show, we've got the Dog Women of Michigan, the Deer Man and his Flying Clam, and Forest Time Tornadoes. I'm Benjamin Grundy. Joining me is Aaron Wright. I'm glad you got that right, because there was a rather heated discussion about that before the show. As you were saying, it's Forest Time Tornadoes. No, hang on. What? <laughs> <laughs> I purposefully did it incorrectly, and you just, I just didn't even notice. It. I just fell for it. So the Forest Time... Forest Time Tornadoes. The, no, you don't even. You can't even get your your segment right. Forest it's, time tornadoes. That's correct. There you go. It's not forest time tornadoes. It's forest time tornadoes. Exactly, which is precisely a story that I have coming up in our plus extension at the end of the show of a strange phenomena that seems to be sweeping through some uh, groves and other wooded areas across the United Kingdom that actually appear to be some type of uh, electromagnetic. Uh, geomagnetic, I don't know what the actual function of it is, but essentially it is a, a tornado that if you get sucked into it, you end up in another time. It pulled into forest time. Pretty much, yes. <laughs> another time, not forest time. It's happened to be in a forest. We're in our new studio. Hey, Barnacles, we're in our new studio. Yes, of course, our Plus members have already heard the yeah. sound coming out of the studio. But yes, this. although I just realised that my chair was just rubbing up against the desk. Oh, can you lower your... We got these brand new chairs in today. I've been sitting on a uh, dining chair. A wooden dining chair. A wooden dining chair, dining chair <laughs> from <Ikea>. for three <laughs> weeks. My back was finally giving out today when these new chairs arrived, so thank God. And this new studio. So thank you again to Mark Poltridge at ContainerStudios.com for delivering on this incredible... Incredible studio. It's amazing. And we described on the the last plus episode how we had this huge truck to deliver it and it didn't fit. So I turned up from a grocery run and Aaron just had this look on his face like, oh God, it's the end. Like we just let's just pack it up and just quit. Oh, come on, you're being a little bit melodramatic. It wasn't that bad. It was more like I was ready to go and wade out into the ocean. But fortunately, because we're very close to the ocean here, I can just go do that. <laughs> so we we managed to get another Smaller truck, yes. which is just around the corner because we're in an in industrial estate. So they came around and managed to get it in, and now we're all set up. And it is nice in here, I've got to say. It's really funny, actually, because have a look at our Twitter feed, at Mysterious Univ. I was tweeting out just a little video and a couple of photos of the uh, basically the studio being delivered and what it looks like. And the number of people are like, oh, it's so much better than I thought. What did like, you think we were you doing? Think? I was going to put a couple of blankets up on the inside of a shipping container. Just so. build a, <laughs> a wooden frame and, yeah. 
put some sheets down. Although I am a bit jealous. I've noticed that I think your voice sounds a little bit better than mine. I'm very bright because I'm up against one of these resonators. No, actually, I think it's the opposite. I think you sound better than me next to that resonator. Oh, well, we'll see how it goes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yes, it's all very nice in here. And speaking of Twitter, we had some uh, fans reach out this week, which is perfect timing. I had Grumman 600 linked to a Coast to Coast article talking about a Yowie experience that a bunch of Australians had in the Gold Coast. Right, yeah. And then Bradman, at Lil Yowie on Twitter, uh, let me know of another Queensland family getting terrorised by Sasquatch. So I had a bunch of monster sightings sent to me on Twitter this week, which falls in line with the book we'll be talking about on this episode, which is I Know What I Saw from Linda Godfrey. It's I Know What I Saw, Modern Day Encounters with Monsters of New Urban Legend and Ancient Lore. I've been really hanging out for this book. It's been on pre-order for a while. And of course, we love Linda's work and she's a great researcher. So this book is truly fascinating because she also focuses on some more of the uh, urban legends as well, doesn't she? Yeah, well, she's trying to see the connection between legends that grow with time and the real, so-called real, encounters that people report, whether they're seeing Sasquatch, Bigfoot, or some hairy dog woman who flies in a magical clamp. (laughs) Hang on, hang on, hang on a second. It's Me Too movement, Aaron. It's no longer the dog man. It's 2019. It's the dog woman. I must say, when you mentioned the dog woman, you just gave me the heading of the chapter, and all I get in my mind is this image of a wolf in a dress with (laughs) lipstick on. It's kind of like a mermaid thing, though, because she's a beautiful supermodel from the top down. Yeah. But as soon as you get to the waist, it's all a dirty dog down below. Oh, according to some eyewitnesses. Okay, I'm looking forward to getting into. So that. I'll be going into that. And uh, what have you got coming up? Well, as I apart said, from uh, forest, <laughs> forest well, time. Well, no, as I, as I said before, I was looking into uh, some of these uh, stories of people that have been struck by lightning multiple times, and I was intrigued by it because uh, on the one of the other plus, I think it was last week's plus extension. I was talking about some of the the stranger, more uh, the psychic factors behind the Abe Canyon incident. Of course, the incident that happened back in the 1920s where a group of miners were allegedly attacked by a group of Sasquatch or Bigfoot-type beings, ape men, hence ape men canyon, or was ape, what is it, ape man? Ape canyon. Ape canyon, yeah, of course. So um, as I was looking into that, I was fascinated if there were other stories or uh, you know other little you know, incidents that we know well in the paranormal field that have more of a, a psychic element behind them, you know, either trickster spirits playing in or whatever else. And while I didn't find anything specifically related to that, I did come across the story of uh, a number of people that have been struck by lightning multiple times. There seem to be people out there in the world that have been struck by lightning. There's one guy, I think the, the record holder is 11 times. Oh, that's right. And, you know, you would just go, oh, I mean, it's, it's weird in itself. And obviously there is an, uh, potentially a paranormal element going on there. But the deeper that I dug into his story, there is, he believes he was being basically uh, followed by dark supernatural forces that were just simply utilising. Yeah, I mean, you'd be going nuts by the third or fourth time. Yeah. Right? You would start to suspect all sorts of weird things going on. Exactly. And then, as I said uh, before, when uh, I looked into more details, it turns out that anyone that started to believe him were also struck by lightning. So it was like the force was trying to stop him and his ending actually is it doesn't end the way you would expect either. So as I was going into that, I started finding more stories about how lightning is associated with time slip encounters. It seems like either it's some type of, at first I thought it was some type of power, like maybe that lightning striking a certain area of the earth, like these portal areas or these window areas that the researcher John Keel talks about might somehow activate something in the region and supply it with power. No. Apparently, there are shamans that utilize lightning to basically open portals and time is irrelevant to them. 
So these shamans exist 10,000 years in the past, and yet they utilise storms as a way to pluck people from the present what to force them about? through initiation <laughs> ceremonies. Crazy, oh insane rabbit hole I went okay. down, and that's all coming up at the end of the show, but let's jump in. Okay. Actually, we're going to do the Yowie reports, or should we go to Linda's book? Well, again, we've got to give a plug for containerstudios.com for Absolutely. anyone who wants to buy one, because Mark, as we said on an earlier episode, can now ship them overseas. Or, you know what, a panic room where you can just chill out. Yeah. I was thinking about it today. I was in here doing some research. You're like, I could stay in here for quite a long time. Well, I think... He already got a request for three of them. That's fantastic. Such good news. And yeah, he's still got to do a quote and everything, but I'm sure that was one of you listening. Yes. Asking for a, a big order. So if anyone, again, if anyone wants to put together an, an amazing studio and hopefully we'll get some picks together because we've still got to set everything up in here. We've got to get uh, some bushels. Bushels. Because the mic's quite far away. We've only got this single mic pole between us. And yeah. Because we're further away now, it's a little bit stretched. So I was looking for these... Uh, bushel. Are they bushels? I What's don't know the what, hole that you call it? A bushel. Is <laughs> it's like a little metal thing that creates a hole, right? And we need those for our particular brand of microphone equipment. And I'm looking for these things everywhere online. They only distribute them. It's a German company called Yellowtech. And there's a distributor in New Zealand. There's a distributor in America. There's a distributor in Singapore. No distributor in Australia. Of course not. So everywhere I look... It's like you buy all this fancy German microphone equipment and then you need a little metal hole to put the microphone stands in. <laughs> Guess how much that little metal hole is? 100 bucks. $150 oh, that's for two. that's crazy. So it- I ordered that and it's like, oh, you want, you want to buy two holes, do you? Oh, very good. How much is shipping? 150 Deutschmark. Oh, my God. So just getting these two little metal holes in this desk so we can get our microphones closer to our faces is costing us $320. It's like that American dad joke where the German guy was like causing all this trouble for people. And it's like, why? Why would you do that? And he just simply goes, I'm German. It's what we do. <laughs> it feels like that. I feel I've just been screwed by this German <laughs> microphone arm company because they're, all their accessories are so expensive and we're locked into their system now. Great. So that's fantastic. So anyway, containerstudios.com. <laughs> Check out the Which work. have nothing to do with the expensive <laughs> yeah. German parts. Check out their work. Uh, so yeah, Linda Godfrey is uh, perhaps America's, in fact, I wouldn't say perhaps, she is the foremost authority on modern day werewolves. She's the author of over a dozen books on werewolves, hauntings, the paranormal. And of course, it all started with the story of the Beast of Bray Road. Uh, she was writing for this newspaper in Delavan, Wisconsin, way back in 1991. And there were a couple of sightings in the area that had just recently popped up again of this strange humanoid looking wolf people were seeing on Bray Road at night. And she ended up doing a sketch to go with the newspaper report and writing this little article, and it totally blew up. She had all these people contact her and say, I've seen it too. And she originally just thought it was a bit of a jokey story for a slow news day. Mm. And, you know, like, what is it, 20-plus years later, she has written over 12 books on this this topic of these strange creatures. Well, this is like that uh, hidden experience, that psychological aspect of where you, know, you think you're the only person who's seen this thing or had this type of experience, but because of the ridicule factor and everything else, you don't talk about it, but then you find out that there's a whole heap of other people that feel exactly the same way and have had similar experiences. Well, when she started to look into it, she found that the first modern era sighting was from... 1936 from a Mark Shackleman. That early? Yeah, he was a security guard for the local convent and he was on his way home. It was really late at night. He was on this stretch of road east of Jefferson County and he noticed 
there's along the side of the road, there's apparently Native American burial mounds to the west of the area. And he slowed the car down because he caught a glimpse of something that seemed to be almost trying to burrow into these ancient mounds. And when he pulled up, this figure stood up and he realized it was enormous. It was over seven feet tall. And he kind of freaked out because he wound down the window and the first thing that hit him was this smell. Mm. There's this smell of rotting flesh hit his nostrils. And uh, the sight became too much for him. He freaked out, so he sped away. Does that coincide? Well, it does coincide, but does she make any reference to the idea of treasure guardians and that stuff we've been talking about recently? It's interesting you mentioned that. I was going to bring that up because I think quite a few of these encounters could be related to what you're talking about with the Ape Canyon concept of what those miners seeing in, in terms of you know being haunted by these strange Bigfoot type creatures was some kind of, yeah, there's some kind of metaphysical guardians. Well, that's the kicker to the story if you're a barnacle is that basically the reason why they were attacked by these Bigfoot creatures is because they were given psychic information about where to find gold and they ticked off the local guardi- treasure guardians, which are the yeah. Bigfoot creatures protecting it. That was a great story. That was, yeah, really good amazing. Reason to sign up for Plus. So this guy, he couldn't sleep. He's obviously dwelling on what the hell he had seen. So he goes back uh, the next day to see if he can find footprints. But the creature's there. It's still there. And he gets a little closer this time. You can see it's a humanoid body with a wolf's head. And it, it had like twisted long fingers and obviously large claws. But they kind of had this like weird... gnarled claws. They had this weird standoff where he was staring at it. And they were just confronting each other for nearly a minute until this thing just grunted and ran off. So that was one of the earliest reports that's from the modern era, because if you look uh, in the Native American folklore in the area, there are, of course, the skinwalkers, but there's also talk of this kind of beast that lurks at night, which is very similar to werewolf, werewolf folklore. But then modern accounts kind of popped up. There was a couple in 1964 and then again in 1972. But 1989 was really what started the, I guess, collection of sightings that Linda got a hold of. It was on October the 31st in 1989. There was a Dorostein Gibson. She was traveling down Bray Road when she heard something slam into the side of a car. Now, she thought she'd hit a deer or something. Yeah. So she pulls over. She like gets out, you know, has a look at the side of the car to see if there's any damage. And she couldn't see a dead animal. She's like, what the hell did I hit? And then she notices about 50 feet away, there's something huge and black and hairy dashing at her. It's sprinting towards her. So she's like, ah, she freaks out, jumps back in the car. Yeah, as you would. Speeds away. And she didn't get far before she hears this thump. She looks in the rearview mirror. There's this giant wolf man <laughs> on the back of her car. Like, this is insane 80s horror movie stuff we're talking about. Like it's it, thriller. It, it gets so kind of tropey and corny. But these eyewitnesses... They're coming forward and they're sticking to their stories. And some of them are very reliable eyewitnesses. Um, she didn't go, she went pretty fast. So this thing eventually fell off. Uh, when she got home, she examined the car and those gashes in the bodywork. There was a bunch of other sightings very similar to this where you know people were seeing this thing on, on Bray Road. And uh, eventually one woman had a sighting where, uh, I can't remember if she had stopped, but she saw this beast covered in brownish gray hair long fangs protruding from its mouth, had a wolf's head and large pointed ears sticking out from the side. And she claimed that it was incredibly muscled. 
incredible muscle tone on this thing. But it's it kind looked, of a recurrent theme with him as well. It looked like Schwarzenegger, like yeah. it was humanoid with a wolf's head. Uh, she ended up going home and and telling her mother, and then her mother convinced her to come forward and tell Linda about the sighting. And that kind of spurred her into this research. And as I said, now we're 20 plus years later and she's written 12 books on these topics. She says, you know, in the latest book uh, back in 1992, she thought the scenario at the time was that people were just seeing canines that were walking upright. They were walking bipedally because it does happen. I mean, typically when you see a dog walking on hind legs, though, they're doing it because one of their forelimbs is injured. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like they've Doing got it out a of necessity. They've got a broken leg, or a, you know, they've got some kind of injury, and they can't do it for long. It's not like a canine can walk around on two legs for their entire existence because no. their skeletal structure is just not built for it. Yeah, and the biomechanics of it are not sustainable. Yeah, and often eyewitnesses you spoke to spoke about this uh, kind of uncanny, uncanny intelligence, this look in the eye, uh, almost a. Um, like a, a trickster element to the way that they would, you know, look at the eyewitnesses, almost a knowing that I know this is weird and I know you can see me, but here I am. Yeah, they're doing it on purpose. Uh, and she, at the end of this uh, Bray Road sightings, she thought, I really need more reports to even start to make sense of this. But, you know, where else am I going to hear about werewolves? Surely this is the last I'm going to hear of this crazy nonsense. But then the reports started to roll in because she was out there as someone who was looking at this seriously. Reports started to come in from the US, from Canada, from all over the world. And after 10 years or so, she just started to write more books about what she was being being told, sharing the eyewitnesses' stories. So 26 years later, she says it kind of comes down to this main question. This is what everyone wants to know. Are the creatures something we would consider real or are they entirely other world? Are they entirely metaphysical? She says, my suspicion these days is that they may be both and that our reality operates on a scale from dense matter to realms the human eye cannot see. And I think I'm kind of in that camp as well. I think there's a bit of a mixture there, especially when we're talking about things like Yowies and Sasquatch. Before I go on, I might quickly mention these stories that were sent in from these local reports. This one was picked up by Coast to Coast and it was uh, on Jackie Liversidge, uh, she recalled that in 2016, and she's only just come forward with this account, uh, she reported to the Australian Yowie Research Organisation that when she rented a cottage town in, uh, rented a cottage, sorry, in the town of Tarzali in Queensland, uh, immediately she knew something was not right with where they were. The first sign of strangeness was when something started throwing rocks onto the roof of the home. Shortly thereafter, she said her son was outside at night and heard a very loud demonic animal growl. The family subsequently spent the next few months in a state of unease as they felt as if they were being watched by an unseen observer and often heard the sound of something sizable moving around outside the home. The tale culminated with a truly jaw-dropping incident. She was outside at night and heard someone walking. She quickly turned the flashlight towards the noise and was astounded to spot a creature that was pitch black, hairy, and the size of a chimpanzee. Wow. Now, could it be an escaped chimpanzee? Well, she said she thought that at first, but she realized that behind it was a few more sets of eyes and they were incredibly tall, like seven or eight feet tall. She said this thing eventually dropped to the ground. It had like a baby on its back. Oh. Um, 
she describes them walking with big, long strides and they looked like humanoid hairy beasts. They weren't gorillas. They weren't apes that we know of. I'm actually not surprised, though. I just had a look at where Tazali is. And it's it's practically in the middle of nowhere, but it's just south of Cairns. Now, Cairns is known, first of all, it's got a lot of uh, like national reserves, national forests kind of in that region. And there are plenty of stories from that region of similar Yeti-type yeah. Yowie beings. Yeah, there's plenty of stories. And a lot of people just don't share them. No. But the weird thing she added to this just recently, she spoke to, I think it was one of the, the Cairns newspapers up there. She added to the story. She said there was another creature with them and it was a strange pale looking white guy. Yeah, that's the thing. <laughs> yeah, I've heard this. I've heard these reports and when I say Yeti style because it was the color of the either the skin or the fur. So are they saying this is a man or is it that she saw just a different colored being? She claims it it looks very similar to that. You know that hoaxed kind of demon trail cam photo that's yep, everywhere yep, where it's this yep. white, white thing with white glowing eyes really close to the camera. Yep. She said it kind of looked like that, which makes you immediately kind of write the whole thing off. Um, but she said it had these sunken cheekbones. The the eyes never glowed. They were completely black. So it, it kind of fits the description of like an alien grey or something like that. Mm, but darker. Uh, no, it's white. It's no, gold. no, but I'm just saying like the it feel the feeling of it is dark. Why? Because why is it hanging around with a group of large beings like It's just that? its friend. Why is that dark? <laughs> like they kind of friends? No, they can't. Absolutely not. There has to be segregation <laughs> between the greys and the Bigfoot. But the owner of the cottage, because she was just renting, the owner of the cottage has come forward with a statement saying uh, she has an overproductive imagination and the mystery creatures were just possums. Oh, come on. So, There's a difference. A possum? They're like tiny. They're not even like American possums. They're Case closed. Tiny. Case closed, Aaron. Uh-huh. Uh, the other report was from the Corumban Valley uh, here in Queensland, near the yeah, Gold Coast. Gold Coast. And uh, this family claims they had a, a sighting on Sunday evening about 9.30pm and the mother was sitting on her back deck and she saw it, this giant, you know, seven foot tall, hairy human, humanoid ha- hairy ape man, <laughs> a yowie. And uh, the sightings continued. They're basically harassed. At one stage, uh, the dog bowl got flung in her face <laughs> out of the darkness. <laughs> I'll link to those stories in the show notes. They're just uh, local reports. I mean, the I distance, ca- though, it's, it's fascinating because I think the distance is what, 1,600 kilometers down that coast? So you're going all the way from Cairns all the way down to basically the border with the, the Gold Coast report. So these things obviously occupy the entire coast. They're out there. Well, they are out there. I mean, the people have, there's so many reports of these things, so they're definitely there, but obviously there's just no proof of them. You know who else is out there? Dog women. Okay. So Don't get it into your head that these are all dog men. There's dog women too, Aaron. There's so no dog glass ceiling? I, I, I want to tell, I'll talk about the Wernersville dog woman. Uh, there's a report from Wernersville in Pennsylvania, October 1972, and rumours had been circulating for years about this dog woman that lurked in, in the shadow of South Mountain. Uh, and, and the story goes, there was this abandoned resort complex. It was formerly a sanatorium uh, up until 1927. How does a sanatorium become a resort complex? That's, <laughs> yeah, that's it's creepy a, in itself. That's a pretty heavy renovation. Yeah. Oh. And here's the pool, which was formerly the padded room. Uh, so the buildings were raised by a controlled fire in 1967, but there's still all these leftover remnants, like there's a stone a uh, huge stone chapel. Things that weren't burnt. There's stone walls there. And apparently 
um, the creature would appear next to this one particular stone wall in this kind of stone room that's left behind with this strange feature. There's a massive meat hook still left in the wall Why from some meat pa- old meat packing room. And that's apparently where it's seen. So three students back in October of 1972, there's Terry Weinhold and his friends Alan and Brian, which are pseudonyms, and they don't know where Brian is. They can't locate him. But Linda managed to speak to Terry uh, a number of times, and she also interviewed Alan as well. Back when they were teenagers, they decided to go out there one night and try and find the dog woman because it was like this local legend and everyone spoke about it. It was kind of a fun thing to do. Like we always say, it's these one of these local haunts where bored teenagers just exactly. go out there yeah, to look, check it out. You would have done it. So that's what they did. They, the trio hopped into Alan's green Chevy pickup. Uh, Brian was riding shotgun and Terry stuck in the middle. And they found the wall. It was about eight to ten feet tall and it was on Grandview Road. And they slowed the truck to a crawl as they approached the spot. And when they rolled past the open chain, chamber, they just hear this horrific scream. Like something bone-chilling. And Terry described it as like a deep roar and a fierce growl combined together. Uh, Brian, who was peering out of the passenger side, just suddenly went, (gasps) and he quickly told Terry and Alan that there was a large fur-covered creature standing on its hind legs, screaming at them from the top of the stone wall. So before they could react, this creature apparently jumped off the wall. They can hear the padded, you know, footsteps on the bitumen behind them. And uh, Alan just gets the hell out of there, hits the gas, they fly away, all the boys are screaming in the car. Oh, it'd be terrifying. And and eventually they get to the end of the other road and they're like, oh, oh. And for some reason, uh, Alan wants to go back. He's like, no, come on, guys. We've got to go back. We've got to see this thing. And the other other kid's like, no, absolutely not. Now, Terry admits he never actually saw it because he was kind of stuck in the middle seat. You know when you're stuck in the middle seat Uh, and you can't turn around? Of course, yeah. He said- That was why, but also he was just too scared. He was absolutely terrified. He was only 17. But uh, uh, Alan decides to drive back. And again, when they drive back with a hysterical Brian and Terry in the car, uh, with Terry holding this large flashlight that's plugged into the cigarette lighter, they see it again. This uh, large, hairy, canine-looking being screaming at them. Well, there's no evidence that what they saw was female, but this is just the legend that there's this dog woman that harasses people. But how do they know it's... Why are they assuming it's female? Is it a female? It's just because, get, like or? I said, it's just because of the legend. Oh, okay. They didn't see anything that said it was female, mm-hmm. but the legend is in the area. So Terry uh, told Linda he knew another student who had been out to the same stone chamber several years earlier. He claimed a large canine had dragged its claws across his 57 Chevy and there was a story told to him by a close friend who was a neighbour of his who said he'd entered the, that same stone room only to see a furry limb with sharp claws burst through a hole in the wall and jab at his chest. If that's not horror movie cliche, I don't know what is. Um, but Linda says that the legends of this beast go back decades and Terry swears, look, everything he's told her is the truth. But Linda, of course, she's questioning this because... You know, is this fact, fiction, folktale or urban legend? How can we know what to believe about these insane accounts? But she has this interesting question of what came first, the monster or the myth? Because the myth has been there for decades. Uh, is the fact that 
that myth has been there building up in the minds of so many people, especially on teenagers focused on this mythical monster? Is that somehow linked to its actual appearance? Look, it, is it, it some kind of weird tulpa? It could be, but... But think about it, right? I mean, if you are someone, and this is the thing, right? Yes, so there are a lot of reports of locals encountering this. So they probably would have heard it around town and wherever else. But you also have plenty of reports of people that have come in from other regions, have no idea about the legend here, and yet they see it. So that rules out this psychological element. I mean, there are obviously other psychological elements that could come into play, but the one of it being implanted into their minds is ruled out. And come on, I mean, I've been told stories about Santa Claus my entire childhood. I don't all of a sudden see, oh, well, Santa Claus is here on, on Christmas Eve. Yeah. You know, like, it just, it, I don't think that that idea really works. Well, Linda says you can't obviously rule on the veracity of the story just from a report, even though the guys are convinced what they saw was real. Yeah. It did spur Linda on to go finding other stories about dog women. And it reminded her a lot of the dog lady of Monroe, Michigan. And there's this little overgrown aisle south of the Lake Erie port town of Monroe. And the locals have called this Dog Lady Island since the 1960s. And it's kind of a teen hookup area. It's kind of a place where you park at night and canoodle. And the teenagers for years have been reporting this strange scene. There's apparently an old, wild, bedraggled looking woman who's kind of half running on all fours and she's trailed by a pack of Dobermans, like 30 Dobermans. And the the canoodling teenagers claim that occasionally they'll just be this, ha, and you'll look out the window <laughs> and there'll just be this crazy old lady and all these barking dogs surrounding your car. So she's, she's just like basically a dog lady, like yeah, a cat lady? she's kind of a dog lady as a cat lady would be called a cat lady because she's surrounded by his cats yeah. and she's crazy. Uh, but apparently there's actually a backstory to the legend like, there really was a lone elderly woman living on that island, uh, and she's connected to some rich family called the Cowslers that moved there in the 1800s. Um, their son, George, was born on the island in 1906, and sometime after that, they hired a couple to live in a small cottage and watch over their mansion. And with that, within that couple, the husband passed away, leaving the widow there on the island by herself, to look after the entire property. With all the dogs. Well, this is what the... She spoke to an archivist for the area and he said, look, all these legends are probably nonsense. Like, yes, there was a lone lady. She was like a hermit who lived on the island. But, you know, she wasn't feral. She wasn't living with a pack of dogs. But then the teenager stories, like the teenagers come forward to Linda and they're saying, no, we've seen her leap on the roofs of cars and scratch at the windows with her claws, with spittle flying from her mouth. She's a dog lady, and she's crazy. But, I mean, that still doesn't mean that she's a dog lady. Is there other factors that kick in? Is there other descriptions? Well, what, why don't you tell us what makes a dog lady, Aaron? Well, but they're saying that she's scratching at the top of the car and she's got spittle flying. That could just be someone who's suffering an extreme emotional disturbance. It doesn't necessarily mean they're Does a dog. Does that not make her a dog lady? No, it doesn't make her a dog lady. <laughs> she's surrounded by dogs. She acts like a dog. Yeah, but she's not a dog lady in the sense of what we're talking about with these stories of dog men. She's just a human being who has a lot of dogs around her. Okay, so I agree with you. And this is more likely urban legends from tale-telling teenagers than anything linked to a genuine beast, certainly not linked to the previous story. Yeah, they're just making up excuses as to why they've had an awkward sexual encounter with that. <laughs> so next we head to Alabama, and there was a flap of sightings of a, quote, stunning female creature from Mobile, Alabama, they hit the city's newspapers in April of 1971. This is only about 
six months before the report from Terry and his teenage friends who who saw the dog woman. Um, the phone calls to the police started coming in right around April Fool's Day, but then by April the 8th, there were at least 50 concerned citizens phoning in to say they'd seen something, specifically with the face and long hair of a beautiful woman, but the body of a wolf or a large dog. One caller added a bit redundantly, it, it didn't look natural. The bulk of the sightings occurred around Davis Avenue and the community of Plateau. Now, this dog woman wasn't attacking anyone. There was no injuries or anything reported, no property damage. But after a few days of continual sightings, it vanished and the town went back to normal. It was just, it came yeah, out of nowhere. Yeah. It was a flat for eight days yep. and then nothing. Mm-hmm. So was it mass hysteria? Were people having a joke because it was around April Fool's? But Linda suggests it's possible it headed north to cooler climates then took a hard right at Ohio and arrived in Pennsylvania at around October in 1971 when Terry and his teenage friends, Brian and Alan, had their sighting. So it kind of matches up. But also Pennsylvania, as we know, being an unusual place anyway with the Bigfoot and UFO experiences in the 1970s. Well, speaking of Bigfoot, Linda has her own theory of what might have been reported by those three teenagers. And she refers to a report from Alan Hall that kind of made her think of this. Uh, He's a Hazler Nation storyteller of the British Columbian coast. And in Robert Pyle's 1995 book, Where Bigfoot Walks, Crossing the Dark Divide, he included this incident that had been told to him by his grandfather. So apparently his grandfather was out hunting and he saw a, a bunch of bears, a group of black bears, and he started firing on them. And the bears scattered, but one of the bears dropped. So he's like, all right, puts his gun away and approaches his kill. And he realizes it's not a bear. It's a female Sasquatch that he's killed. What, that was hanging out in a group of bears? No, it was a group of Sasquatch. <laughs> I don't know if it's a bear lady. What is going on with you today? Bear lady. <laughs> My gosh. No, they're all Sasquatch. Right, okay, well, that makes sense. That's the point. Yeah, it's a misidentification. Yeah. No, because we were just talking about the dog lady. Like, how do I not know it's a Sasquatch lady <laughs> oh my God. that's hanging around with a heap of bears? My God. Did the bear transform into a Sasquatch after he shot it? Well, maybe it did, if it's more metaphysical. <laughs> so he, he realises that, yeah, he's made a huge mistake. But the interesting thing about this guy's report was that he said it, it looked more human than beast. Like, she had... Very human-like breasts and little to no body hair. Like, she was Just only fine hair. mildly hairy. Uh, Hall's grandfather barely escaped with his life. He claimed the remaining Sasquatch pursued him to his canoe. Um, but Linda said she started to imagine what this female may have looked like. And Hall hadn't said she was bald, so she may have had long hair. And if her torso was hairless... Maybe her face was as well. How does he not know that he just shot a very hairy woman? (laughs) Yeah, I don't know how you could make the mistake. Maybe it was a group of bears that transformed, (laughs) like you suggested. Um, So he just shot a hairy woman. (laughs) So uh, there was one female with a fur-free body, she said. Perhaps there were... There were others with varying amounts of body and facial hair. So she's suggesting that maybe a female Bigfoot is what those boys saw. It's not a dog man. It's just a female Bigfoot. Yeah. And it's very angry. Yeah, you can't rule that out. I mean, it's, it's a possibility, but yeah, I don't know what to make of it. She answered this. She says, look, I, I know people who have observed a couple of female Bigfoots in Salt Fork State Park, Ohio, 
and said the creatures looked unexpectedly human, even pretty. Hmm? Many Native Americans have traditionally seen Bigfoots as either fully human or a subspecies of humans who could actually mate and produce hybrid, less hairy offspring. So could the wolf woman, dog woman sighting that the teenagers had be some kind of hybrid offspring from a man and a female Sasquatch. Look, for the sake of the argument, I'm going to go with a yes. <laughs> we, we sure. would say, I think we'll say certainly that is the case. Moving on from that speculation, we change track a little bit. We want to talk about dear men. No, actually, dear women. Uh, she has this report from 2009 with Patrick Waters who describes seeing a woman beast about three years earlier that might support Linda's hybrid Bigfoot theory. In what way? Well, Patrick claimed he encountered a creature with a very human female torso, but like I said at the start of the show, from the waist down, totally animal. So this guy lives in uh, Rapid City, South Dakota, and he's an enrolled member of the Aglala Sioux tribe, and he often travels to the reservation, again with these crazy reservation stories. Mm -hmm. I mean, we've just had uh, uh, Artie Six Killer Clark's book on the show. But this happened three years ago when it was late at night, he said he was traveling with a former acquaintance. They were a bit about 15 miles from the town they were, they were trying to get to. It's pitch black, really dark night. And he's asleep in the passenger seat and his friend wakes him up. He's like, wake up, wake up. And he, he's like, what, what, what? His friend said, we just passed this really nice looking woman standing in the tall grass on the edge of the road. And his friend was wondering if they should turn around and pick it up, pick up this woman. Now, this guy's heard all these stories from his mother about skinwalkers, about late night hitchhikers that masquerading <laughs> shape, is, shapeshift yes. and bite your head off. <laughs> so he's like, no, I don't care how hot she was. Keep driving. So a couple of minutes pass and his friend's like, there she is. There she is again. And fair enough, standing on the side of the road as they drive past is the same female human figure standing there. Now, this guy says he couldn't see her legs, so he knew... Well, maybe the, the grass was really tall, but he just says to his friend, all right, don't stop, don't stop, keep driving. His friend's like, no, but she's really hot. She's there again. So they keep driving. And they're nearing a, a part of Battle Creek when, again, his friend says, oh, my God, there she is again. And he has a bit of a twinge of fear in his voice this time because they look over and she's now standing on the pavement. This is the same woman. She's wearing a dress type piece of piece of clothing and now they can see her lower half. She's got small hooves where her feet should have been. She had a human upper body, long dark hair, but her eyes reflected white in the headlights. She had a pretty face, almost like a Disney version of Pocahontas, they said, maybe about five foot nine and about 120 pounds. She says, we didn't get a good look at her legs the first time, but the sighting a few miles later showed she definitely had deer legs and a tail. And had, like she, they said the fur on her legs was mule deer colour. She had deer markings. But human hands, human face. So like a centaur, but a deer style. <laughs> a deer tour. Deer tour, yeah, right. That's what they're called. But you know what? I mean, hearing that description, I mean, obviously there are other things there that they can see which doesn't come across in describing it. But, you know, if you'd hear that, from reports from the 1700s, even the 1600s, it's like it's the devil. Because you hear yeah. of you know being human up top but having cloven hooves. Well, Patrick said he's heard stories from other people on the reservation and from other Indians he knows from other reservations where this is some kind of um, creature that appears during certain events that 
the tribe will have during uh, know, certain important events of the year, like okay. a particular powwow or something. People like will a drive, cultural event. Yeah, people will be driving home and they'll see this thing on the side of the road and it supposedly uh, lures men away from crowds. It lures men to their doom and they're never seen again. Well, I was going to ask, what does it want? But if it's luring, luring them to their doom, obviously it wants death and destruction. I have no idea. Maybe it just wants to chat. Let's take a break here. When we come back, we're going to talk about the dear man and his flying clam. And we've also got <laughs> forest time tornadoes. No! You're listening to Mysterious You're listening to Mysterious Universe. Stay with us. Squarespace is proudly sponsoring this episode of Mysterious Universe. You can turn your dream into a reality with Squarespace. They make it easier than ever to launch your passion project, whether you're looking to start a new business, showcase your work, publish content, sell products, and more. Squarespace is really, Ben, the tool for you. It is, and it's appropriate that Squarespace, one of our longest sponsors, is one of our first sponsors in our new studio. They actually are as well. They were our first sponsor. Yeah. So, Oh, that's very, very cool. Yeah, and I think Mark from containerstudios.com should use Squarespace. <laughs> Spruce it up a bit. Look, it wouldn't hurt. It wouldn't. I mean, beautiful containers, maybe a little bit of Squarespace ink for the website. It'd be fantastic. No, but I mean, it's fine. Squarespace just makes everything so easy. You can sell anything, including shipping containers. I think it's a really good point, Ben. Whatever you want to sell online, Squarespace is there and you can do it with them. And of course, you know, they've got these beautiful templates that are created by world-class designers. You can customize just about anything with a few clicks. I mean, it really is simple to make a beautiful website all by yourself. They've got an e-commerce functionality. So if you actually want to sell a shipping container directly through the website, just put it straight in your cart. <laughs> Just you can drag a couple across. Yeah, it's fine. It's very easy to do. All done with Squarespace. Everything is optimized for mobile right out of the box, so there's nothing to patch or upgrade ever. And buying domains is simple. You get all the help you need with Squarespace's 24-7 award-winning customer service. Squarespace, of course, empowers millions of people from designers to lawyers, artists to gamers, even restaurants and gyms and shipping container studio builders to turn great ideas into something real. So if you want to try... Go to squarespace.com slash MU. You can actually get a free trial right now. When you're ready to launch, make sure you use that code MU. You'll actually get 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. It's squarespace.com slash MU. Offer code MU. Make sure you check it out. And we're back talking about the new book from Linda Godfrey, I Know What I Saw. And she's got a more recent case. This was reported in Colorado on April the 6th, 2018. A man and his girlfriend who were driving, essentially looking for a place to eat near Colorado Springs one night. It was a misty night. There was a light snowstorm. Visibility was pretty bad. And they just weren't having any luck finding somewhere to eat. But for some weird reason, they both felt compelled to look but at the same time, they reported afterwards that they each had this growing fear that something was wrong. Something just wasn't right about the whole experience. So they were debating on whether to turn back when they noticed six or more deer running on a hill to the right of the car. And they said nearby them was what looked like a fence that had a dead deer hanging from it, like a limp dead animal. 
caught in it or something. Yeah, just stuck there. It's just this weird detail. Now they keep driving, thinking this is strange, and they discover this restaurant just ahead, or suddenly out of nowhere. It's almost like it just suddenly appears. So they pull into the parking lot, but they said they're met by this incredibly strange spectacle. The eyewitness who wanted to remain anonymous for this report said, as we pulled in, we saw them. Dear people. That's the only way I can describe them, he said. Yeah, they were about probably it's be dear people. <laughs> dear people. There were about a dozen of them scattered about. They appeared to be about six feet tall, and they were just standing upright with thin waists and legs. They looked almost human, but they were dear people. He said the stranger part was that their upper bodies had wide shoulders, wide necks, heads that seemed too big for their bodies, and they were covered with fur. Their faces resembled those of deer, however. Their eyes were wide, set and black, and they had large ears and antlers. Deer people, Aaron. The man said they uh, seemed fully physical to him, but his girlfriend, who he's described as a materialist, said later they looked kind of out of phase to her. Yeah, they can't be physical. And this is a thing that we keep coming back to with stories of Bigfoot, is that, yes, they may be able to solidify in this reality for whatever purpose... I don't know, sustenance or whatever they're doing, but there has to be a metaphysical element to them. No, I I think this is something else. This actually reminds me of some of Mike Cleland's reports of people... Like a that, screen memory? Yeah, people that see a giant owl and think, oh, that's weird, and then later on they realise it actually wasn't that. I, I'm wondering if this whole presentation of it being a deer is, yeah, some kind of shonky screen memory, something's gone wrong. And the restaurant that just suddenly appeared out of nowhere perhaps wasn't a restaurant at all. You think there's also some potential abduction phenomena being woven in here? No, because they actually just hit reverse and got the hell out of there. They were freaked out and just left immediately. But the next night, as the witness was lying in bed, he had some strange experiences. He claimed he heard footsteps and heavy breathing. He said he saw a tall, dark shadow appear in his room. Not long after that, he was smoking on his apartment balcony and he claims he saw a large figure on a nearby riverbank just staring at him, like in weird, you know, creepy men in black style. But it had the same oversized head, the same neck, the same deer-like face that he had seen while he was driving. There has to be other things going on here. I mean, maybe, as you said, screen memories, but it really is starting to sound more like abduction phenomena. Well, I think we're going to get to the bottom of this when we talk about the deer man and his flying clam. I've been waiting <laughs> waiting to tell this story. It actually comes from a Canadian ethnologist and linguist, Basil Johnston, uh, from the Ojibwe of the northern forests of the US and Canada, the, the tribe there. They have their own legend of a deer man's spirit that can appear as both a man or a deer. Uh, but the interesting part about this, Linda describes, is that the deer man legend is associated with a skycraft that looks like a clamshell and it has a it leaves a circular pattern in the grass when he comes down in his clamshell craft so it's basically a ufo yeah it's pretty much a ufo they say it slowly hovers down and as johnson told the story a young ojibwe man named eshkukberg witnessed this spectacle one day and he watched as this spinning silver clam came out of the sky landed in the grass left a circle there and out of the clam 10 beautiful young women debark from this sky clam and they start dancing and playing around and this deer man appears to him and as he's watching these incredibly beautiful dancing women, this deer man helps him win one of these sky people as his wife. 
I don't know how. I was say, how does he win her? Well, he just, I don't know, he must have danced with her and bought her a martini or something. I don't know what he did. <laughs> it's been a long time since you've been on a date. But the, bought yeah. her a martini. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. What do you do these days? The deer man also gave Eschkeberg the power to transform himself into the shapes of various animals and even, on occasion, a tree. So the weird thing about this clamshell craft is in this Native American legend, there's all these weird details that correspond to modern-day UFO lore. For example, the craft was said to be composed of some kind of shining rainbow metal, and it had dull, glowing sights, like many UFO reports. Johnston noted that the craft's propulsion system was operated by sound, and it could only be activated when a special song was sung by some of these women that emerged from the craft. There was something that turned it on that only they could do. That's unusual. And the story has weird links to... Uh, kind of mythical stories in the Bible as well. Eschkeberg and his wife ended up having a son named Zawano Gizig, and that translated translates to blue sky. But the son was said to be really tall, and Linda says the fact that this is the only word used to describe him, uh, the, the child's appearance, it could possibly be significant. And she said she couldn't help but think of the Bible's passage in Genesis of course, describing the sons of God descending to earth to mate with the daughters of men, resulting in children described as giants and Nephilim. So eventually in the story, this offspring, Joanna Gizig, was able to ride to the moon in a clam, I presume, with his mother to meet his grandparents. They sent him back to earth to fetch his father. And get this, in this Native American legend, he commands his father to collect and bring a pair of every species on Earth when he returned. Oh, so it basically sounds like Noah's Ark. It's like Noah's Ark, this this strange story. So moving on from there, we start to head into what I think could be possibly an answer to some of these eyewitness reports, to some of these sightings. And this is where it crosses over with the plus uh, show story you did on Ape Canyon and Bigfoots being treasure guardians. Right. So this is where we start to see the connection between these sightings and cemeteries. Now, yes, I know that sounds super corny and no. st- straight out of a cheesy horror movie, but the fact that people are seeing dog-like entities around the dead, almost as guardians of the dead, ma- actually makes more sense. Yeah. Because you look at uh, some of the gods from different cultures around the world... Uh, specifically Anubis comes to mind. What is Anubis? A guardian of the dead. Is Anubis a dog as well? Yeah. Anubis is the dog-headed god. Uh, So it it kind of falls in line with some of that. So Linda received a report from a man who wanted to remain anonymous, but he described this sighting that occurred back in 2017 in New Hampshire. He'd come home on this chilly Tuesday night. It's about 12.30am. And he saw at first what he thought was a deer, Uh, and he realized it wasn't a deer because it started walking on its hind legs. Now, he said this thing was tremendously thin. It was taking poodle-like baby steps, but at a really high rate of speed. Almost like a a cartoon. And he knew it was definitely not Bigfoot. It didn't look a thing like a Bigfoot, but he he couldn't believe what he was looking at. He had no time to, to feel threatened. He wasn't afraid. He was just surprised, and he kept staring at this thing. He couldn't figure out what it was. And he said, whatever it was, it didn't pay any attention to him at all. He said he couldn't see its arms, but it had a triangular head with small eyes and a short face. And it struck him as both cat-like 
and wolf-like all at the same time, some kind of hybrid. The fur was quite short, he said, and it walked across a commons area that was about 65 feet away, um, and it appeared to have come from the direction of a nearby colonial-era graveyard. So it continued to head south silently, but at a fast pace, and he soon lost sight of the thing. And there's plenty of stories she includes where there are these odd dog-man, dog-woman-type sightings around cemeteries, around graveyards, in some cases ancient uh, burial grounds. The next story she includes is from Ian Robertson Molden, who was a British military officer. He was stationed in West Germany in 1971. And his story to Linda was that he had just finished college and he said he was posted to uh, Fallingbostel in northern West Germany. He was a second lieutenant in the Royal Military Police, the special investigation branch. So I guess you could say credible witness. And during his first week at this location, he had to report to the medical reception center to go and see a soldier. And he said this medical reception area was 500 yards away, but the footpath that you'd have to take to get there was just surrounded by woods. Just say it kind of meanders through a forest. It's completely surrounded. Yeah, it might as well be a forest. And after he visited the soldier, he made his way back to his unit. And the whole area was desolate, he said, because the division was away on exercise and it was just himself and the rear parties left behind. And as he made his way back to where he'd come from, he noticed a dog in the undergrowth ahead of him. Now, he said it looked like a German shepherd, maybe an Alsatian. And it gave him a little bit of concern because he thought, you know, there's reports of rabies in the area. I've never seen this dog before. I should be careful. But he stopped at first and then slowly moved towards this dog. Now, there was no way of avoiding it because the path was quite small. There's no other way past. The forest was too dense. So he stops about 40 feet from this animal and he just wants to assess the danger. He wants to, is it dangerous? You know, how's it acting? Maybe it's friendly. And all of a sudden he's confused because it doesn't really look like a dog. He says it had a long snout, like a German shepherd, but incredibly long, tall ears. He says it looked more like the dog seen in Egyptian hieroglyphics. It looked more like Anubis. He said, I think its snout and ears were much longer than I've ever seen on any other dog. And it was really slender, he said. Now, realizing there was nothing else to do, he had to walk past this thing. He just gingerly starts walking down the path. And as he gets to about 20 to 30 feet away, it stands up on its hind legs. He says this thing was around seven to eight feet in height. I had no chance to observe it further because it started to walk towards me. Initially, I thought it was some sort of thin bear as its body was dog-like, but there's no bears in this area of Germany. He says, as I mentioned, it just looked like Anubis with a dog's body, not a human's. Its color was dark brown, and from what I could see, a pretty persistent color. Had it been a dog, it would have been lighter underneath, he said. And he said it sat directly watching me and just stood in complete silence. Didn't make any grunts, didn't pant didn't make any dog noises of any kind. He said the eyes were dark, you know, maybe like a bear's or something. But he said, I really didn't get close enough to see any more detail because I turned and ran. (laughs) He just ran. He said, I did not stop running until I got back to the medical center and he had no idea whether it was following him or not. It it makes you wonder whether or not, I mean, obviously with hieroglyphics that that this is something that's been capable of, um, you know, this image of Anubis is something that could have been created and made up. 
But then also it starts you to think about things like, you know, you hear these stories of, because I've been reading all about shamans today that apparently can contact these beings. They go to certain locations, whether it's burial mounds or even cemeteries, these sorts of locations. And they're essentially power centers for the lack of a better word. Cliche, I know. But what they do is they utilize certain practices, whether it's humming or drumming or um, using psychedelic substances, and they can actually see these beings. And as I was reading through it today, there was some suggestion that ancient cultures might have had an understanding of these portals and then would start reporting the creatures they were seeing. So I'm thinking, well, could it be that different for the ancient Egyptians? They simply had some type of understanding of these power centres, they used certain rituals, and they would see these things and would consider them to be gods. Yeah, it seems to be in some cultures there's this understanding that there are guardians of certain realms, realms of the dead, Yes, other crossing over into other dimensions. We've we've spoken about uh, people on, under the influence of psychedelics and, and DMT and other substances who always perceive guardians at the threshold of another realm. Yes. There's so, some kind of thing guarding it. Exactly. So rather than it being imagination when these things are drawn or written down or described, it's actually just simply an alternate perception that we don't entirely understand. Yeah. And in the reports that Linda's coming across, I think it's a reasonable explanation to say that, yeah, you've had your misidentifications and some people are making up stories, of course. Of course. But some of these may be particularly, you know, those threshold guardians somehow manifesting into our reality. Well, I mean, in regards to that story about you would go, well, hang on, why is it, why is this guy so lucky that he just happens to be walking along through this forest and he just sees one of these things? And it could just simply be that it is a coincidence that he just happens to be there and he's run across this thing. The other possibility is that there is some suggestion that certain people um, can go through psychological processes, whether it's stress or whether it's substances or whatever else, that leave them more open to encountering these beings. And they don't expect them but because they're in these slightly altered states, they do see them. Or it could be the area. Or the area There could itself. be something about yeah. the area. So or a mixture bit. This soldier, uh, he'd only been in, in Germany for a couple of weeks. He didn't really know anything about uh, Falling Bostel when he got there. So he started to do some research in the area. And there were legends of werewolves in the area that had been there for, for decades, centuries perhaps. Uh, but the whole area was strange. There was a, a cemetery really close to the the base, but it had an armed guard all night. Why would a cemetery need an armed guard? That's what I thought. That's what he thought. Why does a cemetery need an armed guard? Is there people of importance buried there and they're worried about the gravestones being damaged? The official story was grave robbing. Grave robbing? Yeah. Uh, It it also had a heavily fenced grave there of someone called Camilla Karnstein. And his German was a bit, you know, uh, spotty, but he said the inscription said something like, they were either bitten to death by a vampire or they were a vampire. <laughs> Again. So how cliche, old was the grave? I know. Uh, the grave was going back to the 1800s or something. Mm. Uh, but I think the most interesting point is Linda notes that there's stone dolmens located close by and archaeologists claim that they're ancient burial grounds. So again, there's yeah, that a, link. this guardian of the dead. Uh, and then we just get into the super weirdness. Let's just, in the home stretch, there's so many stories in this book. I just kind of picked out a couple for you. But I really wanted to find the ones where, actually, when the author says in a book, yeah, I really debated on whether to include this story, you know that's yeah, the it's story be good. That's mention. the one you want. That's yeah. the one we're looking for, mm-hmm. right? So she received this letter in early 2017. It was from a James Powell in Canton, Ohio. And he said, look, Linda, have you ever considered the possibility that some of these sightings, possibly a good percentage of them, 
these creatures are artificially manufactured. He said perhaps they're possibly clones from some or for some unknown purpose. Oh, this is the Chupacabra description. Well, he went on to say, I'm now 71 years old. This happened about 10 years ago in 2007. I was still in excellent health at the time and I was running uh, for exercise on a regular basis. And he says, my sighting occurred on a rubberized walking or running track in a public park. And it's within walking distance from where my wife and I used to live. So he describes the park. It's in a valley and... It's the lowest point in Canton, Ohio, surrounded by three sides of wooded area. And when on the track, he said, you're basically 300 yards from the nearest public street. So you're really kind of encased in this little enclave of forest. He says he remembers it was late March afternoon. It was gloomy, cloudy, damp, depressing, kind of normal. Yeah. And maybe early in the afternoon, about 2 or 3 p.m., but there was no one else using the park track. He was basically by himself. He's on the west side of the track. He's running running southward, and he notices something coming towards him in the distance. Now, it's low to the ground, and it's not standing upright like a person, and as he gets a little bit closer, he realizes that it's some kind of animal. He says, as it drew nearer, I determined that it was a very large dog. And at this point, I came, became concerned because, you know, runners and dogs don't mix. So again, he's getting closer. Now he's about 150 yards away and he can see, no, it's not a dog. It's two dogs. They're each about the size of a typical German shepherd. So he stops and he watches as these two animals are approaching him. Now, this is where it gets weird because he said they weren't acting like dogs, He said, I know dogs very well. And in fact, he points out he and his wife were breeders and handlers of show dogs in the 1970s. He can't remember not having a dog. So how were they behaving? He says, look, I know how dogs are supposed to look. I know how dogs behave. I know their mannerisms. Something wasn't right as far as these two dogs were concerned. They were moving as if they were, and it's almost like he's searching for the right word. It's like they were imitating a running motion. That's they were, a weird way to describe it. They were moving like they were trying to trying to move in the way that a dog would move. He says usually dogs will, you know, they, they sniff the grass, they sniff the trees as they run, they investigate everything. They're not just kind of trotting in one in one line. He says dogs do not canter and they don't canter simultaneously in perfect lockstep with another dog. No. Which these two were doing. They were marching as if they were in a regiment in this perfect canter. He says, and they were cantering faster than trot, but slower than a gallop, but precisely in step with each other. And they were looking straight ahead, never looking either side, never looking up or down, not stopping to sniff anything, not even panting. He said it was bizarre. And this is the thing that really got me. He said their general appearance can best be described as artificial. He said one was shades of grey, the other shades of brown, but even the hair was off. He said it was entirely too colourful, too thick, too shiny, almost synthetic looking. Additionally, the body parts didn't seem to be in proper proportion to each other, and the dogs seemed to be physically identical, like twins or clones. He said their faces lacked expression. Again, no tongues hanging out, no panting. The mouths were closed. Now, he said at this point he was no longer concerned about being bitten because they were totally oblivious to him. It's like they were programmed 
to go in a straight line in lockstep and that's it. Could it be some kind of weird advanced robotics or something? That's the first thing I did. I started Googling robotics companies in Canton, Ohio. Yeah, because I'm thinking of what's that company? That, <laughs> the Boston Dynamics. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. But uh, I couldn't find, I found one university group that had made a robot dog, but it basically looked like a, a square box with triangles for legs. Okay, so basically <laughs> the um, the Jetsons kind of description. Uh, yeah, and even the stuff that... Uh, that Boston Dynamics is doing. I mean, the movement is, in, the same. is incredible, but they haven't created anything that looks like a, that we know of, that looks like a synthetic animal. No. Uh, even, it sounds more Blade Runner than... Even the arm on the thing, you know, that's... That's creepy. That looks like an alien. It doesn't yeah. look like a dog. But he says, I turned to watch them just canter past me. And it's, and again, it's like, every time you walk past a dog in the street, they always pay attention yeah, to you. Yeah, sniff or look at you. Especially or... if it's just you and the animal on some kind of walking track, of course they're going to come up and sniff you at least. But he said they just canted past and he just watched them kind of disappear around the track until they were out of sight. Extraterrestrial? He's never seen them again. He goes to the park every day. Now, he has something else to add. He says, look, I'm not saying they were robots. I just used the term artificial to illustrate the strangeness of the whole thing. I'm not saying that they were artificial. He says, look, they really were like living things. But I'm just saying how weird it was. Now, he added a few notes, including one thing he had forgotten to mention. Linda said, you know, this was the kicker, that one of the area's oldest and largest cemeteries is located just a few blocks from the track. So it's it's kind of an interesting thing to start speculating on. If we're if we group together all these stories we've covered in the past, especially, you know, you just did a segment on it on Ape Canyon, where entities seem to be guarding almost like sentries guarding particular locations. Uh, and there's the suggestion that they've been placed there, they've been conjured, they've been somehow uh given energy, given life by some ancient culture, some ancient shaman that understood this process. This is something that occurred to me today and it kind of uh, is a follow-on from what I was talking about with the whole Ape Canyon thing. And it's this idea that you know, they're out there looking for treasure. It's like Westworld, right? It's like if you've seen the first series of Westworld, it's like there's this thing that you know, I think it's, uh, I can't remember who it is, the character, but basically you can achieve, you can get this great reward. There's something you're looking for. But basically the reward isn't for human beings. The reward is for the robots. It's like that's what, and that you finally work that out towards the end. So sorry if that's a spoiler. But anyway. Um, it's the same thing about with this Ape Canyon and also these treasure guardians. and all this. We're talking about treasure guardians, but the treasure isn't gold and doubloons and jewels and whatever else. Think about it. They're threshold guardians. The treasure is crossing that barrier, that veil that is this other world. Not coming into the physical world. Yeah. That's what the treasure is. That's what they're guarding. They're, and this is why they're at cemeteries. That's why they're at burial mounds. Because they're not protecting mm. the treasure in the traditional sense. They're protecting this ultimate crossing that we all eventually make. But imagine if you could cross that before your time. The yeah. knowledge that would come from it. I was leaning more towards there's some kind of uh, conjured creature that is on some kind of security loop to protect an ancient treasure. I prefer that idea. <laughs> and I think there is doubloons. They are protecting doubloons. There is physically doubloons under the ground in Canton, Ohio. No, I think it's deeper than that. I think it's deep. I mean, maybe there is some physical treasure there, but I just don't think... Yeah, think about doubloons. it, right? But why would these uh, entities, whatever it is, they don't care about treasure. 
They don't care yeah, about but finance. Just like, just like a security system doesn't care about what it's protecting. It's a security system. It's programmed to do its, it's purpose. Doing its job. And their purpose is to run their, their century route. And it's been running for 20,000 years. Maybe. Yeah, maybe whoever created it. Atlantis doubloons are buried in Canton, Ohio. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. All right. Yeah, well, I'll give you that one too. <laughs> but this gets weirder from this witness because... He added, yeah, he added this real shocker to Linda. It's like, why did you not lead with this story? Uh, half a year before he saw these weird so-called cloned dogs, it was mid-November 2005, he said he's enjoying his usual mid-afternoon run in the same park. And ahead of him, at a distance of about 300 yards, he sees the backs of a small group of uh, people moving northward, same direction he's going in. What, Running? No. Okay. As he drew closer, he could see it was a group of four teenagers and there were two larger boys side by side. They were in the front and there's two smaller boys side by side making up the rear and they're basically filling up the whole path. The larger boys appeared to be maybe 15 or 16 and the smaller boys looked a bit smaller, so 13, 14. And he's running, so he's moving a lot faster than them and he's rapidly catching up to this group. He said the two in the front were slender and the two in the rear were kind of a bit chubbier. One of the older boys was clearly the leader. He could tell because he was continually giving instructions to the other three and none of the other three were talking. So it just looked like this guy was leading the pack and they were all kind of listening to this teenager in the front. So the older boys were walking slowly, but he says it was kind of clumsy the way they were walking. It was in a straightforward direction, but the younger two behind them were slow and awkward as well. Like they were moving in an erratic direction. They were kind of meandering from side to side and um, falling behind and then catching up. Like the whole thing was really disorganized. He had the impression that these four were suspiciously laboring to move in a normal, orderly fashion. Like the dogs, they were trying to, to walk like normal humans. They were trying to appear as if they could walk like normal humans. He says their behaviour was similar to watching a person learning to dance, kind of unsure of what steps to take. And, you know, their movements are all clumsy. It just didn't make sense. It was weird. So is this like some type of, uh, is there a landing site nearby for extraterrestrials? Is there a military base (laughs) conducting experiments? That's their test track. Yeah. Well, he says, yeah, they really seem to be almost impersonating human motion, like learning to walk like a human. Uh, They weren't behaving in the same way as an intoxicated person would behave. And he actually thought of this. He thought, you know, maybe they're they're on drugs or something, but... He says, I don't think it was that because I've seen, you know, intoxicated teenagers, I've seen kids on drugs and that wasn't the case. It was just very weird. And as he, because he's catching up to them, as he gets to about 10 yards away, it becomes apparent that they're not going to let him pass. And there's not enough, there's not enough room for him to go around them because on either side is water. Um, And they're just incredibly rude. They're just being dicks. Like they don't understand normal human etiquette to get out of the way when a runner's coming up behind you. And when he gets close enough, maybe 10 feet away, he can hear fragments of their conversation, but he can't quite make out what the leader is saying to them. But he senses that they're just really uncomfortable that he's there. Like he's a nuisance to whatever they're doing. And it was this point, he detects, he said, this barely perceptive nod of the head from the tall lead teenager in the front. And in response to this nod, 
the other older boy slowly turned and looks directly at this guy, this eyewitness. And he said, when he saw his face, he was stunned because he had the body of a teenager. He was like maybe 15 or 16, but he had the face of a 65-year-old man. What? (laughs) Immediately he says, look, I'm familiar that there's a disease out there called Hutchinson-Guilford syndrome. I haven't heard of it. Well, basically uh, the symptoms resemble... uh, abnormal aging. So it's like progeria or whatever that disease is? Yeah, you're like you're, you you know, you're 15, 16, but you just look incredibly old. It just, it's a really debilitating disease. Uh, But he says, I've seen photos of that and that's not what I was seeing. This was, um, because the body declines with the face as well. Of course, it's proportionate. This was a perfect, uh, healthy teenager's body with an old man's head. <laughs> so what did he do? Well, he just keeps staring at this guy and then the rest the tall one stops and almost as if following his lead in perfect unison like they're synchronized, the rest of them almost responding to a silent telepathic signal, they all turn and stare at him and he says, "They've all got old man faces." All of them. <laughs> he said what it was so weird. Earth? They're all just kind of Old white dudes' heads on teenagers' bodies. Is this like, what's that movie, Get Out? It's like, have they stolen some teenagers' bodies and done a head transplant or something? I don't know what's going on. But later, that's actually Linda's suggestion. Like, she's going through what could possibly be going on. Like a weird medical facility out there? And yeah, maybe there is some kind of top secret, you know, underground experimental medical centre for the world's elite where you basically get to choose a teenager's body <laughs> and then they stick your head on there. And then the walking track is you basically getting used well, think to about your it, yeah. new body. Relearning how to walk. <laughs> and they're also out there creating these weird clone uh, robotic dogs and they're also using that walking track to train them. I think that's a little bit out there. It's I don't a little know bit absurd. why this multi-billion dollar elite medical center wouldn't have its own walking track, but apparently they don't. Yeah, exactly, where no one could see you. (laughs) So at this point, he has to overtake them because they've basically stopped walking. They're all staring at him with their old man heads. And he walks through the middle of the group. And as he passed by each of the youngest boys, he noticed that they wouldn't look directly at him, like they're almost trying to hide their faces. It's kind of weird. Yeah, so they know. Maybe one of them was like Warren Buffett or something and (laughs) he didn't want to get recognised. They appeared to be looking through me, he said, or beyond me at something in the distance behind me. The two older boys made direct eye contact with me and continued the eye contact until I had passed through. As I passed through the group, no one spoke. There was just this tense silence. Now, after passing through the group, he intentionally didn't look back because he was freaked out. But after a minute or so, he's like, okay, I've got to take another look at this. So he turns around and they're gone, completely vanished. What, into the forest? He just doesn't know where they've gone. Well, here's the thing. He says there's no other track. There is a dirt path that they could have taken that just goes into the forest. But from where he was, you can see that. Like you can see that path and they weren't there. So he said it was almost like they had just vanished or they were able to move so fast they were, you know, out of there, like, faster than a cheetah. But obviously not, considering that they were just struggling to even walk normally. Yeah, they were learning to walk in their new teenage bodies. So he asked the question, well, could they all be suffering from that disease, that specific kind of ageing disease, Hutchinson, 
uh, Guilford syndrome. He says no, because there's only a hundred known cases in the world. Uh, it's a one in four million births, you know, disease. It's that rare. So only 140 cases in the entire medical medical history of the world. So the idea that there's four of them with perfect teenage bodies walking on that track, it just doesn't make sense. Uh, and of course, yeah, I put in my notes, Linda said, like you did, that it's just a bunch of rich guys <laughs> that got head transplants. Great minds think alike. Yeah. So I, maybe the last story I want to leave you with, and I'll link to this book in the show notes because I'm just really scraping the surface. Like she's got so much in here. She's got giant snakes. She's got oh, chapters on Sasquatch. She's got oh, uh, stories cool. of people going into the forest and seeing elves and goblins and weird ant-like creatures. Ant? Yeah, like tree people, like little oh. tree people. Uh, really bizarre, fascinating stuff. Uh, make sure you pick it up. Again, mysteriousuniverse.org. Uh, look for season 22, episode three to find the link. But I, I just had to tell this story. This is from Mark. He's an adventure guide from Iowa. And actually, no, I won't tell this story. No, I won't tell this story. I want to tell you the story from uh, the Californian mountain hound. This is from late September of 2017. And she had received this letter from a man in California. His name is Garrett Aziz. Uh, he works in the field of renewable energy. And he had a couple of encounters he wanted to share. Uh, a couple? Yeah, that was so unusual that he finished his message with saying to Linda, under penalty of perjury, the foregoing and any other additional information provided in the future is true. You know, signed uh, witness, Garrett. So, so he's convinced by what he's seen. Yeah. Well, hence the title of the book as well, I Know What I Saw. And again, Linda wasn't sure whether to put this story in the book. So we have to tell it on the show. Now, this occurred about two years ago, he said, and around 2015 for the storytelling. Uh, I live in a lower mountain rural community, he says. However, we do have a population of 5,000 and there are neighbours here. There's a golf course here. It's not in the middle of nowhere. And he says Sasquatch has been a common occurrence uh, since the 1960s. Native Americans in the area speak of giants being buried here and also about the little men and other entities who reside inside Mount Konokti, which is this dormant volcano. Now, there's also historical accounts from local native people in the early 19th century of underground caverns below the lake populated with unknown beings. Calpine, one of the world's largest geothermal companies, occupies the entire mountain range off his back porch. And he says they have huge tunneling equipment. And Blackwater military contractors have been seen in this area for decades. So there's a, already he's throwing in this little uh, conspiracy. Why is there private military contractors around a geothermal company's site? You, what are they doing? Yeah, that's a bit weird. Unless they're testing some type of technology or. But why research. would you need Blackwater? Yeah, that's. A Couldn't you just have normal security guards? Why do you need military trained guys? Why do you need a private army to protect your geothermal plant? Because maybe they're dealing with something that is ultra high, you know, top secret. Like what, Aaron? Like cloned weird treasure guard. Some kind of dog woman. <laughs> <laughs> well, I wasn't going to go there because I don't want to get shot. But yes, dog women. Uh, next to his property, he has these uh, this fairy ring in the grass. Like it just, the grass never grows there. It's this perfect ring. It's about 15 feet in diameter. And he says during spring, there'll often be large mushrooms that only grow in the perimeter of the circle. It's this weird fairy ring there. 
And uh, he makes his position quite clear because he simply says, it is without a doubt an energy vortex or portal. Um, okay. <laughs> so it's around 10.30pm uh, to 11pm one night and he let his dog out to, to pee and he says his dog is a purebred Chinese Sharpei, which is the equivalent of a Chinese wolf. Apparently they can't trace its lineage with other uh, canines. It oh. must come from a different uh, ancestry. But he says the dog acts more like a wolf kind of in the way it stands off with other dogs is different to a normal domestic dog. Anyway, Sharpays act like wolves? Apparently. Chinese wolves. Anyway, he's he's staying on the front concrete deck and he's letting his Sharpay dog go off and do its business and he's looking up at the stars as he usually does and he suddenly feels this really strong sense of being watched, like a presence is watching him. And he moves his head down from watching the stars and 10 feet away from him is this all black giant dog, giant dog on all fours. It looks like a Doberman Pinscher, but it's all black. And when it's on all fours, its eyes are level with his. And he's like five foot 10. Okay, so that's a big dog. This is a big ass dog. And he says, look, I've had close family friends who have had Great Danes and none of them are that tall. Isn't the, And the Great Danes like the biggest dog breed you can have. One right? of the biggest, They're I think, yeah. Huge. He says, this thing was massive, way bigger than anything I've ever seen or anything I thought was possible. And he says, it was absolutely telepathic. It was 100% psychic, this dog. But how? Says, Why was he communicating with he it? He says, I felt energies being emitted with such a force that it nearly knocked me back. I could feel its raw power. He says, I didn't feel fear, but it was many times stronger than any human or any other being I've ever met. Its eyes looked directly into mine and I felt it pierce my soul and scan me while emitting this power and energy. Then it abruptly broke eye contact, like this massive, huge, mysterious dog god just breaks eye contact and it almost gave him like, he, he claims it gave him like a little head nod, like a little acknowledgement, like, you're all right, mate. It's almost like it has these uh, shamanistic elements. It's like these beings come and test or try out someone. And if you pass a test, if you don't run away, then yeah, it's just kind of like, okay, you've passed. Yeah. It's yeah. some kind of dog king from another, another dimension. It's like the story we did about the potato king from the vegetable <laughs> that's, garden. That's Except I it's a dog you remember king. remember that. Yes. yes. So it gives him this little nod, like this little acknowledgement, like, yeah, I've scanned you. You're all right. And he says it had no collar, and he just knew this was not a terrestrial dog. The size alone meant it couldn't have been a common house dog. Not to mention that it was telepathically and uh, telepathic and just scanned me with some kind of psychic energy. Uh, but to be honest with you, the guy sounds like he's already a little bit new age and open to <laughs> some more uh, alternative theories. <laughs> you think? He says, obviously, this dog was something else. So the thing then runs off and he's like, oh man, that was psychic. That was, that was bizarre. And he starts calling for his dog. He's like, come on, come on, time to come in. And he doesn't know where the hell his dog is. His dog's gone. It takes about two or three minutes later and he hears panting and he shines his torch over and he sees the giant dog king copulating with his dog. <laughs> <laughs> and they're really going at it's it. It's rooting his dog. <laughs> he says, the weird thing was, the whole time this dog king is having sex with his Sharpay, 
He says it was looking at him. <laughs> it was staring yeah. at him and making eye contact while he was doing it. This guy's it. just basically, it's like riding into penthouse. He's just riding his most <laughs> sick, terrible fantasies. And poor Linda's going to deal with it. What a cuck this guy is. <laughs> he said, I dared not disturb them, so I left them to do their thing. No, hang on, hang on, hang on. <laughs> You turn around to see your prize Sharpay <laughs> yeah. being pounded by a dog god and you just go, oh, well, are they making eye contact with you? What would you do? Get the hose? Yes, or a stick or something. <laughs> a stick. It's but a shoot, dog. It's shoot. a dog king, dude. It's as tall as you are. It's psychic. It has telepathic powers. You can't just get it off what? your Sharpay. Is he worried he's going to take his pets down next to me? Do something about it. So, well, he's he doesn't want to disturb the dog king and his Sharpay, so he leaves them, and a few minutes later, his dog comes back, and he, he the entity's gone. The Does dog the king has vanished. Does the Sharpay give birth to strange little dog king puppies? Well, Linda's like, whoa, okay, that's a lot to unpack. Uh, but since Garrett has more to tell, I'm just going to let him go on with his story. So Garrett actually had a second encounter while he and his family were vacating in Hawaii. Um, and he tells again, he tells all the story of the the weird things in the area, like the Menahune, the dwarf-like course, people yeah. we've spoken about, the, yeah. mo, the Mo'o, which are the shape-shifting dragon lizards. Yeah, very unusual stuff. And the second experience was two months after he saw the Dog King bang his Sharpay in California. So he's in Maui, he's with his family. And earlier in the day, his cousin's boyfriend, Michael, he said he was talking with me at lunch and he was saying how adamant he is that Sasquatch is real, but yeah, he's bagging his cousin. But no, no. But that Sasquatch is just a dumbass. Like he's just a dumb animal. Oh, well, we know that he doesn't have psychic powers, and he's only physical. He's just a, basically a hairy moron. And uh, Garrett basically said, "Let me read you the quote from his story." He said, "This deeply hurt me." And I kept sharing information about why he should reconsider his position. Imagine being triggered that someone <laughs> someone doesn't agree with you that Sasquatch is some kind of mystical, psychic creature of wonderment. Well, and they, yeah. their position is that he's a peanut butter eating moron. I Imagine know. just going, "Oh, that hurts my feelings that you think that." <laughs> we've got emails like Twitter. we've got emails like that, haven't we? Oh, plenty of times, of course we have. How dare you not accept <laughs> the abilities of the wondrous Sasquatch? Just because he likes peanut butter doesn't mean he's an idiot. <laughs> Are we actually, I'm not kidding. I am not kidding. We did once get an email, and I don't know if we were being trolled or whatever else, but the person was like, you never talk about the transsexual Bigfoots. There's tranny Bigfoot? I don't know. I've got no idea. I've never come across a story. Wow. I think you need to do some research. <laughs> Bigfoot in a dress. So, yeah. So, he, we've done Bigfoot in a dress. Plenty of stories. Plenty of times. Exactly. In a dress. Exactly. Um, so, anyway, they have this kind of, it's not an argument, but he's just upset that his friend doesn't accept the reality of the psychic uh, power Bigfoot. But at the end of the conversation, he says, look, if you really think they're just animals, then ask them to come to you in your dreams tonight and you'll know for sure that I'm telling the truth. Aww. So his friend's like, all right, whatever. So later that night, they'd had a few drinks in the evening, he admits. And it was around 11.30 p.m. And they're on the balcony on the fifth floor of his friend's condo. And immediately there's this brilliant, bright light lighting up the sky with this huge tail on the end of it. It's almost like a shooting star. And they're out there looking at this thing, just going, wow, this is amazing. And all of a sudden, the shooting star stops and makes a 90-degree angle turn right towards them. 
Now, he's speechless, as was his friend. It would be. It truly looked like it was going to crash right near them, they said, like it was directed at them. Approximately 35 yards diagonally upwards from where they were on the balcony, the shooting star, he said, suddenly became a bright white flash and a white owl flew out of it. Just there's some kind of mystical white owl. Where's Mike Cleland when you need him? Exactly. As it flew further away from them, this mystical white owl, he said it started to grow in size and its colour went from white to orange to orange to red. And as they're looking closer, this thing morphs into this giant fruit bat, almost like a flying fox with huge wings. And as it flies even further, it starts to grow and morph and change and get larger and larger. It transforms to something reddish brown in colour and becomes gigantic in size with this huge wingspan. And it looks like a bipedal dogman with wings. At this point in the transformation, he said, I knew it was the dog king who had visited me two months earlier. In my mind, he says, I asked to see its face. So he's like, oh, please, dog king who had sex with my Sharpay. Who was also looking me in the eyes while it was humping my dog. <laughs> who is now a flying dogman creature with giant wings. Please turn and let me see your face. And he says, as soon as he had that thought, it's like, with its wings, and it turns its eyes, it turns its head, and it gives him that little nod, like, it's me. <laughs> Does he it said, have a massive erection? He said, no, what is wrong with you? <laughs> well, no, what is you. wrong with you? <laughs> oh, my God. He, he said it had an elongated snout. And uh, he says it looked identical to Anubis, but its ca- its coat was reddish brown. It had a wingspan that looked like a dragon. Now, he says it was on its way to the other condo, and they the next day they measured the railing which it was next to, and they reckon it was 26 feet wide, this thing. He says, look, I know this is ridiculous, but these are the facts. The dog man then flew over the condo, and we have yet to see him again. He says, my friend and I both looked at each other. He was freaked out. I was kind of happy. And he said, like, the no, Garrett... Sorry, buddy, I'm not buying any of it. Garrett said he felt this raw energy yeah, sure resonating. It was the same as the Dog King, and his friend was just scared. Anyway, he said when he returned home from vacation, it was apparent that his Sharpay was pregnant. See, this is what I meant. That's why I asked. So he's now the Sharpay's now given birth to puppies. Linda said Garrett told me they look no different from normal dogs, although they are magnificent. He also feels they are in tune with another level of reality. <laughs> and that they are loving conscious beings. He says they yes, act more dogs. They act more like psychic wolves than domesticated dogs. What a douchebag. Best flying dogman story ever. Why don't you... Oh, I like how you're all like, well, they're possibly guardian spirits of some kind of ancient buried treasure. <laughs> then some guy comes along with an original story and you just go, that guy's a dickhead. <laughs> what a dickhead that guy is. Do you disagree? No, I think that's a legitimate story. Obviously, that's a legitimate story. Oh, obviously. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So either one gets thrown out of the bus for disagreeing. It'd be like, this is... Re- think about it. But think of all the crazy stories we've heard. Look, I once had a pet hamster, and I've never told this story. Well, here we go. And then one night, uh, I was letting the hamster out to go to the bathroom, 
and this giant hamster appeared, <laughs> the hamster king. And it had sex with my pet hamster. Did it stay in the eyes? <laughs> and the next day I saw a giant 16-foot hamster man flying through the air and he yeah, gave me see? away. <laughs> Do you see what it sounds like? <laughs> But it does match with some of the Maui folklore of these flying dragon beings that kind of shapeshift and morph. So it's not like he's just made up some crazy story. I mean, it fits with the folklore. He's at least made it fit with the folklore. Look, I can go... And there's puppies, so there's actual physical evidence. Yeah, because the dog's probably just a whore dog that got knocked (laughs) up and he's now having to come up with some metaphysical excuse for it. (laughs) So I'll link to the book in the show notes. It is really great. Uh, There is... I mean, you can see why she would say, I really debated about whether to include this story. No, I I don't begrudge her for throwing it in because it's good to talk about it. It's crazy. And like I said, it's not just, like I focused on a lot of the dogmen, wolf woman sightings, but there's some really amazing stuff that's totally, you know, off on a different track. Like there's a fantastic story from a guy that does um, adventure tours Mm -hmm. and he does a lot of caving. Uh, and he actually did base jumping in some of the caves in Mexico. You know, there's those huge, deep, open caves yeah. they jump in. But he says they had to kind of hike for, I think it was a day or two, through the cave system to actually get to where they were going. And it was like, there's this, this incredible golem story. Like, the whole team claims they were pursued by this four-foot-tall creature in the dark. And the stuff from their campsite was getting stolen uh, there was weird footprints around them at night. And the guides were like, I don't know what this is. And the locals didn't want to talk about it. So he had a feeling that the locals kind of had a f- idea, at least folklore, of what it yeah. was. Yeah. But they didn't want to damage the tourist industry in the area. So they were just like, no, we don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. But he claims they had night vision equipment with them. And they put this night vision equipment on and they saw this little four foot tall humanoid, like a golem looking creature kind of scampering about and it was always it's just like Lord of the Rings like it was always looking trailing for behind them yeah trying to it was just t- trailing them the whole time oh I need to read this book and he's got this incredible story which I won't reveal but um, he thought that would be the end of you know seeing this thing and we talk about the connections these odd creatures have to the eyewitness he's back in Iowa in this caving system and he has a similar experience in Iowa of the sta- same style of being. Yeah, he start mm. and he starts to question whether these cave systems well, are all connected underground look, with something far kind of deeper. Well, that's a possibility, or is it some type of subterranean species that dwells underground in cave systems that we just haven't recognised yet? But you've got to remember what the the common denominator is there, and unfortunately, it's him. So is it that one or two things, well, it could be multiple things, but could it be that he's suffering from some type of specific psychosis or hallucination? Or is it that he's somehow open to these beings that actually do reside there, but only he can see them? Is it some kind of mole king? No, it's not some kind of dog king or mole king or... Does it have sex with his wife? (laughs) That's coming up in plus. Into yeah, the you walk in, there's some mole king having sex with your wife and he just stares you in the eye. And you, yeah, you're just like, I don't want to interrupt this. <laughs> Obviously, the mole king has had his eyes on my wife for a long time. <laughs> and he's the mole king. What am I going to do? I'm going to go out and play my Nintendo Switch and wait for my vasectomy. I'll link to Linda's book in the show notes. I know what I saw. We've got a lot of incredible stuff coming up in our Plus extension. We do. Forest time. 
tornadoes coming up. Uh, the reason why some of the uh, most advanced submarines in the world, nuclear submarines, have gone missing, it relates to Project Paperclip and time slips. And we're also going to be looking at some doors to parallel worlds being opened by lightning and storm phenomena. Oh, very cool. Very, very disturbing stuff. And I hear the die glock might make an appearance as well. Yeah, well, the the uh, the power system that utilizes that. Let's just say that uh, it's more of an extension from the book we covered by uh, the aerospace journalist, Nick oh, Cook, yeah. which was The Hunt for Zero Point. Went fantastic book, really well done, heaps of great research. And I think in that book, we ultimately um, came to realize that the die glock or the bell, that program, it wasn't some type of advanced weapon system. It was some type of time travel That's right. device. We're related um, to time distortion. Yeah, exactly. And so uh, I've been digging through some <laughs> obscure, terrible forums, but I've actually found some really great work from some people that suggest that uh, basically there was a splintering of that program. So the program was heading off in the direction of developing some type of, of time travel in the location where you placed the device, but then it splintered off with they found that the actual power mechanism, the engine that was utilized for it, had some very strange uh, abilities when placed on ley lines or you know like power lines wow. across the world. So when awesome. you hit this earth grid with this technology, it essentially allowed them to open time slips. Oh my God. Okay, I'm intrigued. I'm very intrigued. Which to get will. access to that, head to mysteriousuniverse.org forward slash plus. All the details are there. It gets you the extensions we do on these shows every single Friday. Big uh, additions to our free show that goes out, exclusive to Plus members. And Plus members get an exclusive show that comes out on Tuesdays. There's a whole separate season running exclusive to Plus members. You get your Plus show uh, and the extensions when you sign up. And you also get access to a high bitrate feed. You get a better quality audio version of the show if you're a Plus member. You get a totally ad-free experience on our podcast if you're on Plus. You get discounts off digital products in our store. There's a discount code on your dashboard. And you get all the features of our apps unlocked as well if you're on Plus. And help us pay for the shipping container before it's repossessed. Yes, it is. No, it's not going to get repossessed. <laughs> we, we paid for it up front. We did. That's not how it works. <laughs> but yeah, Mark Paltridge at containerstudios.com. Check it out if you want to, uh, if you're in the market for an amazing recording studio. And that's a wrap for Mysterious Universe. Make sure you check out Plus, mysteriousuniverse.org forward slash plus. It keeps the lights on here. It helps keep us going here at Mysterious Universe. Nine bucks a month. Help support your favorite show. That's a wrap for this free edition of MU. Thanks for listening. If you're a free listener, we'll catch you next week. For everyone else on Plus, stick around for the great stuff after the break. Great to have you with us. So